Welcome to another episode of the Level Up Podcast. I'm Brandon Snipes, and I'm bringing to you the next installment in our series on the masculine archetypes. We've talked about the king, we've talked about the warrior, and today we will talk about the magician archetype. And finally, we'll wrap things up eventually with the lover. But today the focus is on the magician. If you haven't listened to the introductory materials and the king and the warrior, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes uh, even before returning to this one. But if you want to hang out here, that's okay as well. Today we're going to talk about the magician archetype, what it is, what it looks like, what it looks like in our lives, what it looks like in popular culture and in literature and in movies, etc. But then also how to channel the magician energy into our lives. So stay tuned because I think you guys are really going to enjoy learning about The Magician. Before we begin, I want to give a special thanks to Moore and Gillette's book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, from where many of these ideas come. And I also want to shout out Scott Jeffrey, who put so many of these ideas, distilled them so eloquently into an article. So much of the structure of our podcast today will come from Scott Jeffrey's structuring and from Moore and Gillette's uh, book as well. So what does Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, Yoda from Star Wars, the architect from The Matrix, Albert Einstein, and Nikola Tesla have in common? What do these guys have in common? Well, they're all expressions of the magician archetype. What is the magician? Who is he? He's the knower and the creator of worlds. So the magician you might have heard to throughout time referred to by different names, maybe the sage or shaman, holy man or priest, the wise old man, the ritual elder, the knower, the seer, the prophet, the wizard, the alchemist. The magician is the bearer of knowledge, both ancient and new. The magician archetype is synonymous with inner knowledge, with cognition, understanding. In his fullest, the magician is wise, thoughtful, reflective, healing, contemplative, transformative. He's a master of technology. The magician knows how to manipulate the elements, and as such, he possesses great power to create. Here is how Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette explain the magician in King Warrior Magician Lover. They say, this secret knowledge, of course, gives the magician an enormous amount of power. And because he has knowledge of the dynamics of energy flows and patterns in nature, in human individuals and societies, and among the gods, the deep unconscious forces, he is a master at containing and channeling power. The primary role of the magician archetype is to contain and channel power for the good of all. When humans access the magician in its full glory, society prospers. When we fail to align with the magician, accessing instead its shadow, which we'll talk about shortly, society slips into chaos. And the same is true for the individual. So if you can remember from previous podcasts, you said you could think of these four masculine archetypes as sitting around a, a boardroom, if you will, in your mind. And different ones of us, different of us, have louder voices, more cultivated kings, warriors, magicians, lovers, etc., that is, even if we are accessing them at all. Uh, and the idea is to bring them into harmony with one another, to turn their voices up and to tune them up 
so that all four of these can check and counterbalance each other. And I'll talk about why the counterbalancing is so important as we go on in this episode. In The Hero with a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell called the magician archetype, quote, the mentor with supernatural aid, end quote. And he illustrated how this character appears in every hero's journey. So let's talk about the ways in which the magician archetype appears in culture. Neo had Morpheus. King Arthur had Merlin. Harry Potter had Dumbledore. Luke Skywalker had who? Obi-Wan and Yoda. Every tribe of old had a shaman or a medicine man. The magician plays the vital role, vital, vitalizing, life-giving role of the ritual elder who blesses the younger generation, allowing them to mature into manhood, which is the function of the hero's journey. And as Moore and Gillette point out, the ritual elder is mostly absent in modern society. For more on this, I can't recommend highly enough the book Iron John by Robert Bly. Especially if you're a man who feels like you have not been initiated, there was no demarcation in your life into manhood. If you're trying to understand what is going on, where are the elders, where is the wisdom that you wish you had, I would check out Robert Bly's Iron John. It's a fantastic uh, treatise and exploration of a classic ancient story. So anyway, back to the magician. And briefly, a note about gender. More in Gillette's work is focusing on the masculine psychology. What we've been unpacking here is masculine psychology. But in many ways, this model extends to the feminine as well. So the magician energy also applies in the realm of the, the feminine. So what is the magician's role in society now that we've talked about how it shows up in culture? Inventions, discoveries, language, mathematics, engineering, astronomy, chemistry, physics, law, medicine, and other sciences all fall within the magician's domain. All knowledge that requires specialized training to acquire, it derives from the magician energy. The magician archetype is an initiate of hidden knowledge of all varieties, and as such, he is an initiator for others. The magician takes students, apprentices, disciples, all students studying in any field are apprentice shamans or magicians in training. They are learning the ways of the world, ancient or modern, so that they can then turn back and teach others. As an apprentice, you undergo an ordeal by investing large amounts of time, energy, money, studying and testing your capabilities to become a master of the magician's powers, so to speak. In the hero's quest, there's no guarantee that you'll succeed. This is the same in life. When people have questions, problems, pains, they seek the magician for resolution. The kings would often keep wise counsel around. These were the magicians or wizards in the legends. King Arthur wasn't the only king with a Merlin. Kings always had wizards, magicians, sages, seers by their side. But why? So if you think back to the king energy we talked about cultivating in the second of this series, why did the king have to be partnered with the magician? Why does that magician have to be present in the room? And in your psyche, why does the magician have to be present alongside of the king? Well, the magician is the king's strategist, helping him think through things to a just end. But more than that, the magician was able to reawaken the conscience and good sense of the ruler. The magician played the role of a kind of royal psychotherapist, keeping the ruler's arrogance in check, giving him 
a vision, a, he was a seer. He was able to see the bigger picture, looking into the past, present, and future. Roman emperors who failed to take the counsel of the magician became tyrannical dictators. And the tyrant's hubris eventually led to the fall of Rome. An individual fully accessing the magician energy has discernment. Okay, Mark that word there, discernment. He can see evil for what it is. He is able to see the wolf in sheep's clothing. He's not fooled. He has a great BS detector, so to speak. Now, like all of the other mature masculine archetypes, the magician has two bipolar shadows. So with the king, we talked about the tyrant king and the weakling king and how often the king who is unhealthy and in that shadow realm switches back and forth because of the weakness into that tyrannical authoritarianism. With the warrior, we talked about the shadows of the, the sadist who gets off on pain and the masochist who wants to have that strength around but directs it toward himself and likes, likes to himself be in pain. And with the magician, there are two bipolar shadows as well. With the power to create worlds also comes its opposite, right? The ability to manipulate, remember that word, and destroy worlds. In modern society, more often than not, it's the magician's shadows that operate in individuals with power over others. They see the strings that control the system, but they use them to their selfish ends rather than serving the good of the kingdom. And so most of the significant lessons we learn about the magician actually come from looking closer at the shadows. For until we do, both individually and collectively, the shadow will continue to rule us from the darkness of our unconscious. In Robert Moore's model, there are two shadows, and they are the detached manipulator and the denying innocent one. These are the two. This is the active and the passive shadow of the rightly ordered magician. So let's start with the detached manipulator, the active shadow of the magician. This is the trickster. This is Loki in Norse mythology. Because the magician is the bearer of knowledge, when he's left unchecked or when he is following a different kind of king and not good king, he can use his knowledge to control others. The primary way the trickster manipulates isn't necessarily by lying, even though he may do that too, but it's by withholding. That is, the detached manipulator will give half-truths, withholding vital information others may need for their well-being. My freshman year of college, I was preparing for a debate in a class. I think it was an English class of some sort. And I asked a, a guy that lived on the same hall as me to help me. He was a very intellectual guy. This was, he was heavily channeling the magician energy. And uh, you know, I said, you know a lot about this subject. Could you please help me prepare? I, I don't know the first thing about this. And he said, no way. I'm not going to give you any information on this. I want, to, I want to see you destroyed. Okay. And I was so confused. I'm going, man, please help me out. He was able to use his power and insight into this area that he knew about to exert a degree of superiority over me. That the knowledge he had about this topic, uh, he actually relished in himself being the holder and bearer of that knowledge. And it wasn't something he wanted to share with me. In the films The Matrix, The Matrix Trilogy, you have the architect, the person who created the, the Matrix, the computer system in which the, uh, most of the film takes place, is, is this archetype, is the shadow, detached manipulator, cold, 
disconnected from feelings and emotions, calculating, cynical, soulless. A lot of times in modern society, money is a big incentive. If it's not prestige, power, etc., money becomes a big incentive for the detached manipulator, for the trickster. That is, the cynical manipulator profits from knowing things that others don't. Whenever money is involved in an exchange, there's a good chance the manipulator is at work. Money influences the manipulator to provide limited information and charge lots of money for it. We can observe this manipulator operating in many spiritual teachers who amass fortunes while keeping their followers subservient to them. They don't want to give them the full picture uh, of their so-called enlightenment but they, because they would lose this financial funnel that they've created. The detached manipulator runs most governments. The entire advertising industry is the manipulator's game. In fact, almost all helping industries have to be on guard against this shadow. They have to be aware that mixed up in their altruism are all sorts of shadow motives. This could even be the pharmaceutical industry, fashion industry, counseling, education, many other industries. That shadow manipulator, you know, pay me. Give me what I want if you want the information. So where do we see this detached manipulator in our daily lives? This trickster archetype is one of the most common forces in society. Yet its stealth nature allows him to operate within society and ourselves unchecked and unnoticed. Again from Moore and Gillette, quote, Whenever we are detached, unrelated, and withholding what we know could help others, whenever we use our knowledge as a weapon to belittle and control others or to bolster our status or wealth at the expense of others, we're identified with the shadow magician, the manipulator. We're doing black magic, damaging ourselves as well as those who could benefit from our wisdom, end quote. I have to admit that I was very convicted by understanding this shadow archetype. One other way to say that quote would be the shadow magician uses facts and logic to own people. So here I am thinking that going into this logical, mechanical mode in a conversation, whether it's with my wife or with a friend or with someone who's asking a question, a student, etc., when I go into this mode, the thought had never crossed my mind that there might be an issue with using, even using truth and logic, that there might be a dark side to the way that I do that, that it's a weapon I could wield for better or for worse. There's damage that can be done with the truth. Here in my mind, I've, I was thinking, well, as long as I'm saying things that are true, logical, well, then there can't be anything wrong here. There can't be any kind of distortion or shadow involved. And when I heard this, I thought, wow, that's me. I've been accessing that shadow manipulator. I've been soullessly implementing facts, logic, and going into this mode that I use it to assert power over other people who maybe haven't thought through the topic as much as I have or can't articulate it as well as I have. But I use the insight and wisdom and knowledge to own, to win over somebody. And when I'm doing that, I'm using the shadow magician. What about the other shadow, the passive shadow, the denier, the innocent one? So while the detached manipulator plays the perpetrator, the innocent one plays the helpless victim. It's the innocent one that keeps us from opening our eyes and seeing reality more clearly. 
The innocent one believes it's good. And so we bury our heads in the sand, avoid owning the destructive manipulation game that our dark brother, read in between the lines there, our own psyche, is playing. Parents, unconsciously, can activate this shadow in their children by praising them. Praise doesn't just stall growth and limit our potential. Sometimes it instills a false innocence in children that plague them into adulthood. It's the so-called innocence and false goodness of spiritual teachers and religious authorities that sometimes leads them to the manipulation of millions of individuals every day. While greed and lust for power mainly motivate the manipulator, envy, notice envy, not greed, fuels the innocent one. The innocent one envies the lives of others and their drive to share. Simultaneously, the innocent one fears others will discover his lifelessness and lack of responsibility. Well, how do we bring the magician's shadow to awareness, if we have been controlled by, because that's how it seems to work. The stuff we're not aware of ends up controlling us, and we're afraid to look behind those doors because we sense that there might be something knocking back there, and so we never open it sometimes, and ironically, that ends up keeping us controlled by the thing. So in the shadow work, or bucket work, as it's sometimes called, as it, it's like we're emptying a deep lake to get to the bottom, and that takes a lot of time, bucket by bucket, to drain it, to get down to these deeper parts, scary parts of our psyche. But we've got to look there if we don't want to be controlled by this thing lurking. How do we bring the shadow to the awareness? If you're into Myers-Briggs, this would be your thinking types. Or in Enneagram, maybe five, six, seven. These are folks that are most prone to the magician's shadow. And I would even say modern society is dominated in a strange way by this thinking function. We all tend to have a bias toward the mind and cognition. Right? This is a technical age. It's, it is an enlightened age. It's the information age. Because of this, we dismiss feeling. We dismiss uh, other ways of knowing that aren't scientifically uh, airtight, peer-reviewed, scholarly, double-blind studies. We forget that there have been other ways of knowing for all of history, and we write them off. Because of the bipolar nature of this shadow archetype, the detached manipulator and the denying innocent one always go hand in hand. Another way of explaining this nature, the shadow nature, is through inflation and deflation. So an inflated ego that feels superior to others is accessing the detached manipulator. The innocent one is a deflated ego who secretly feels inferior to others. Confusion is a sign of the innocent one. Confusion is a sign of the innocent one. If you feel confused, discover what you're hiding from. Is it envy? Is it fear? Is it not living your values? Is it lack of responsibility? In other words, there are good reasons to muck up the waters of our vision to self-sabotage. It might be out of fear. It might be out of afraid, being afraid of living up to our potential. It might be out of a, a comfortability with our baseline. And so we don't want to pull ourselves out of this homeostasis that we've be become used to, this equilibrium. And for me to improve is going to mean I move into a, a realm of being that I've never experienced before. So just as things start to get good and as, as soon as I start to see clarity of where I'm heading in life, 
I'm going to muddy the waters as an excuse to not have to take that step into the unknown, even though that unknown is better. And these shadow powers will continue to exert themselves and influence our lives until we call them out and call it what it is and say, I am using my logic either to manipulate, I'm using my insights into the world to make money, I'm, I'm avoiding learning and having clarity about the way the world works. I'm avoiding understanding the ways to influence the world because what if I learn them and implement them and fail? What does that say about me? So maybe there's a fear of living up to our potential, a fear of failure that causes us to continually self-sabotage. Well, in closing, how do we activate the proper magician within? The trickster archetype that we fleshed out is one of the most common forces in our psyche because our dishonesty and disconnection from our feelings. Detachment from emotions and the physical body tends to trigger the manipulation game. To put that in this archetypal language, in other words, the magician needs the lover. We're going to get to the lover next episode. The lover is the feeler. It's connected to all things. It's relational. And if you take that away, then you become that cold, calculated manipulator. The magician needs the warrior, the properly situated warrior, to partner with them. Otherwise, the magician is addicted to knowledge, but is petrified of action. And that's why the magician needs the warrior to step in and execute the plan. So because for most of us, the bias is toward thinking and the mind and staying in the head, the fast track to accessing the magician archetype is through the body and through the heart. Drawing excess energy from the mind to the heart and gut regions, this allows us to integrate the magician energy constructively without succumbing to its shadow. By holding to our center, we naturally access the magician's energy. When we fall out of center, which occurs every time we move too fast, we cut ourselves off from our feelings. When we live in our minds, the manipulator, the innocent one, are likely in charge. I'll say that again. When we live in our minds, instead of by integrating our heart and gut, the manipulator and innocent one are likely in charge. Tony Robbins says, if you stay in your head, you're dead. So here are five tips to access the magician archetype more often. One, reforge your connection to your body. Ground yourself. Breathe. Take a cold shower. Do things that put you into the body. Recently, a friend of mine who I've just started teaching boxing to, and he's really caught the bug and been excited about it, I invited him to come to an MMA class with me. So it's 6 a.m. in the morning, and we've got gloves on. He's very nervous because it's the first time. I mean, it would make anybody nervous. You're gonna, you don't know what's going to happen. You're out of your comfort zone, and you just know here's some strange guys, and it's likely that I'll get punched in the face. What's going to happen? So he's rightly nervous. Anyway, about partway into this class, we're all sweating. We're all breathing really heavy um, from a really good exercise. And uh, he's over-reflecting. I can see in his eyes that he's really thinking about something. And later, we, we chatted about it. And he said, he said, there was this moment as I was engaged in this. And he said, it wasn't an out-of-body experience. It was an in-body experience. And that just blew my mind. He said, it was like I was actually present in my body for the first time in so long. I was actually here. I was doing this thing, this thing that I've only thought about and seen others do and watched others do and said, well, that's for others. And now it was me. 
and I was in my body going, I am feeling this, I am living this, I'm plugged into the energy of life. That is what we're talking about, getting out of the head, into the body, integrating the heart, the gut, and the mind. Number two, sacred space. Create sacred space. Seek out sacred spaces. Let me give you some thoughts on this. This The shaman idea of the magician archetype, the one who creates and leads others into a place for a new perspective, this is something that we can cultivate within ourselves and in our worlds. So I used to get cynical, for instance, about this idea of mountaintop experiences. Uh, you know, people would say, well, because those perspectives you gained at that retreat or that conference, because they're not going to last, they really don't help. They're pointless. They were ineffective. You know, I have a new perspective on this. And so here's some thoughts on sacred space and how we can develop it in our world and within ourselves. First of all, about the perspective, there are certain realizations that can only be perceived from a new vantage point. If you change nothing in your, in your life's dull routine, it's unlikely a fresh idea will, will motivate you out of nowhere. It's just going to show up. It's easier to evaluate the system you're in from the outside. So when you unplug, when you get off the grid, when you go to a retreat, that even puts your body in a different state. I used to look down on emotions and be part of traditions where people said, well, these insights gain, is just, you're just riling your body up and just being emotional. Well, to the degree that your connection with the emotions is plugging yourself into the lover energy healthily, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. So these new perspectives allow us a different angle to see into our own lives and the lives of others. These sacred spaces give us momentum. They develop these habits and energy that we can jump off of into life. I think we can create and hold sacred spaces for ourselves and others. And that could be, could be anything. That could be a beautiful place in your house, some place that you've made a separate sacred space for deep conversations or for reflection, prayer, meditation, etc. It could be holding a sacred space in conversation, holding a place that is intentional and focused and aimed at uncovering the deeper things of life, the magical, meaningful things of life, and holding that space open, allowing that bubble in that time for someone to step into that without imposing and judging and enforcing your own will upon them. It could be like physically inviting people to a retreat. Or a couple years ago, I just said to some friends, I said, hey, we're going to block off these two hours, and we're going to just have prayer and meditation at my house. Anyone can come. And it was, there was no talking. We just showed up. You come and go as you want. But we set up this, this space. Uh, in my backyard, one of my favorite sacred spaces, and I didn't think of it as a sacred space at the time, but it's become almost a strange shamanic um, area. Back in my woods, I made this cold shower, and it's really beautiful, and it's, it's nestled in a lot of greenery. And, you know, we don't do the shower together, but it's, uh, it's a fun thing to invite people to say, yeah, get out in this, in this cold and uh, to get to plug into nature. And there's an interesting camaraderie and depth and deep conversations that flow out of that. You know, when I reflect on the opening chapters of the book of Genesis in the Bible, it seems like humans are created to live in a sacred space. When you compare the way that the Genesis early chapters are written to other ancient accounts of temples being built, it's a very similar structure. You have <clears throat> the creation of this place by rivers, often something that's uh, associated with temples. You have guardians placed outside, think gargoyles or things like that, but you have this person with a flaming sword that's placed outside of the Garden of Eden. 
Uh, it's a garden for one. Gardens are associated with with temples. But the idea that God, God that God brings flourishing and fruitfulness to that area where He uh, lives. And then the last thing that people would do in these ancient temples is they would place after they constructed it an image of the God into the temple. So you might call it an idol or something like that. But they'd put this sculpture, this image of the God. And in Genesis, humans are called the image of God. In other words. It's, it's almost set up like this world is a temple of God. It is a sacred space in and of itself. And some of us have experienced that in places in nature where it feels holy. It feels sacred just the way it was intended to be. But then it goes a step further and says humans are created to be a sacred space that contains the presence of God. Third way to integrate the magician energy Connecting with our emotional state, understanding our emotions. This is self-awareness. This is pausing to reflect on the inner world. So some magicians are content to reflect on the outer world and the mechanics and the workings of things outside, but the true magician goes deeper as well and understands themselves, looks within. And what happens inevitably is as we look within, the stuff without makes more sense. When we can understand our own dynamics we can understand the dynamics of the world. If I can understand my darkness and my shadows, then I'm not confused or surprised by those shadows in other people. As within, so without. As above, so below. Number four, create your own inner world. This is activate your imagination. Activate an archetypal imagination. Think about yourself in this cosmic drama. Spend time reflecting and writing. Go within with the pen. That rhymes. Uh, I should copyright that or something. And number five, accept responsibility for your outer world. This pulls us out of the shadow of the innocent, helpless victim, the shadow magician, the passive pole, and it pulls us into the rightly situated magician. So I'll end with this. You cannot control the world, but you can influence it. And it may even be the case that you can't fully control yourself. We're complicated people. We have complicated minds, bodies, psyches, etc. But you can influence it. What is the magician, if not someone who studies the ways of the world, ancient, modern, and seeks to influence for the good? So my challenge to you is to be a knower. Seek to know, but then partner that with the connectedness of the lover. Partner your knowledge with the creation and the ordering of the king, and then partner your knowledge and your insights with the get-after-it-ness, I don't know if that's a word, of the warrior. So next time, we're going to talk about the lover archetype. We want to bring all four of these up into a beautiful harmony within us, tuning them up, turning them up, so that every part of our life benefits. We start by vitalizing ourselves, and through that, people who are vitalized, they vitalize and revitalize others. So we start by putting in the work in ourselves. As Jesus said, remove the log from your own eye before you seek to point out the splinter, the speck in your neighbor's eye. So I hope this was encouraging. hope it was motivating and helpful. Please share it if you found this useful. You can leave us a five-star review or whatever is a good reflection of how you felt about this episode. And I can't wait to bring you more content. Level up.